everybody to Pastors with a Podcast. We are truly in the thick of it. It's Holy Week. It's Good Friday. And um, if you haven't thought deeply yet about everything we're in, well, this might just be the day to get you thinking um, deep into contemplating the death of Jesus. With me today are my colleagues, one of which is my wife, and I'll let them introduce myself, themselves. <laughs> oh, God, am I the wife? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Kelsey, you go ahead. Okay. I am Pastor Kelsey Tice, um, the spouse of that crazy nut that we all know and love, and I serve at Emmanuel's Lutheran in Seguin. Okay, I'm going to try it. I am the coffee drinking, social anxiety having, uh, reading too much, doing pastor from First Presbyterian Church in Seguin, Andrew Limlin. Woo! There you go. The crowd goes wild. <laughs> and leading you today is the chainsaw running, pecan cutting, grub worm stunning pastor from Marion, Texas. Yours. If everyone knows, my introductions all have to do with things I've been doing in the week. I don't just make this stuff up. So if you're ever shaking your head and like, what in the world is because it's happened? He's professional. Okay, so. Yeah, those grub worms in the garden, they got one of my tomato bushes. And so they are getting stunned. Anyways. To get back into the seriousness of our day, our text is from John 19, verses 1 through 30. So normally we would invite the assembly to rise for the reading of the gospel, but this one's quite long. So I invite you to sit down, get comfortable, uh, and prepare for this rather deep and intense text. This is from the New Revised Standard Version. And it reads, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no cause against him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns, the purple robe. Pilate said to them, here is the man. And when the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered, we have a law and according to that law he ought to die because he has claimed to be the son of god now when pilate had heard this he was more afraid than ever he entered his headquarters again and asked jesus where are you from but jesus gave him no answer pilate therefore said to him do you refuse to speak to me you do you not know that i have the power to release you and the power to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. 
From then on, Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leaders cried out, if you release this man, you're no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside, sat on the judge's bench at a place called the stone pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Jewish leaders, here is your king. They cried, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate asked them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but the emperor. Then he handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. It was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. This was to fulfill the scripture which says they divided my clothes among themselves and for my clothing, they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus was his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Praise to O Christ. Christ. Praise to you, O Christ. Take a moment, sit with that, breathe it in. And I'll continue with our piece from the artist, Hannah Garrity, which reads, pitiful, sad, scary. The continuous repetition of history is so poignant with our yearly reading of this text. As I drew and cut the layers of this work, I contemplated the ways in which I play the role of Pontius Pilate or the crowd in my daily life. Where do I per perpetuate hate? Where do I forward injustice? Where do I join the voice of the wayward crowd? 
Pontius Pilate depicts the weakness of the status quo structures, what holds them up, what makes them fall. Windows are the lenses through which we see the world. And in this image, we look through the window of my favorite architectural style, arts and crafts, to the cathedral window style. I portrayed layers of architecture and symbol. The cross is a contentious symbol. I repeat it again and again. The cross is the instrument that murders God incarnate. The crown of thorns shames Jesus. I've placed the Alpha and Omega within the crown of thorns on the cross, reminding us that the crowd put God to death and shamed God. The cross I drew was modeled after Celtic crosses made of nails. Again and again, we meet Pontius Pilate, knowing Jesus to be innocent, refusing to protect him from the hate of the masses, refusing to do the right thing. As I look around me now, I see the same thing happening in our daily lives and the life of our nation and the life of the world. How can I pivot those places in my life where I resemble the crowd and crucify the righteous, or where I resemble Pontius Pilate and perpetuate the injustice of the status quo. Deep, deep, deep. Very. Siblings in Christ. Good Friday. If we really sit down and tear away the layers to what is happening here, we witness Emmanuel, who was born in the stable, who is God with us, God's word made flesh, hung up, nailed to a cross, and dies, who is murdered, an innocent man, and then we're left with a big hole from Good Friday till, well, through all of Saturday. Friday evening through Saturday evening. And we have to sit with this idea that for more or less a full day, God is dead. And what do we do with that knowledge and that understanding that God is dead? I uh, remember when I was in college, I was taking a um, kind of like a literature composition class. We were learning about writing good characters and one of the things that really sticks out with me is how to write an effective antagonist uh often when we think of like the enemies or the bad guys and stuff like that we think of like you know purely evil despotic uh individuals but that's actually not an effective antagonist an effective antagonist is someone who we identify with partly and for that reason i've always been really fascinated by pontius pilate because he he presents a very practical view uh, uh picture of what evil really looks like in the world he's not some like mustache twisting villain he's not all draped out wearing black he's he's a he's a guy who actually seems to show a level of sympathy and concern for jesus he doesn't like what's been done to jesus he 
personally believes Jesus to be innocent. Um, he does a little bit to try to help him. And yet, he doesn't do enough. And he decides, well, the world is the way it is. The people want what they want. Who am I to stop this atrocity from taking place? And so he just goes along to get along. And uh, wow, is that a type of evil we should all be very familiar with right now? One of the um, pieces that really catches me and makes me um, contemplate something that I've struggled a little bit with comes out of um, Reverend T. Denise Anderson's reflection. Um, you should understand that what happened to Jesus was a lynching. And a little bit further in the next paragraph, lynching can be state-sanctioned or extrajudicial. For the Palestinian Jews under Roman occupation, the cross was a tool of repression and terror. Know your place or you're next. And then that last two paragraphs, do not look away and do not rush to redeem this violence. A man was lynched today. Again and again, we find ourselves here where even Jesus is groping for God. And those those pieces struck me because I've always, I've always struggled with crucifixes, um, not crosses. I've got plenty of crosses. I've got decorative crosses. I've got these gorgeous crosses. Um, but I've always shied away from crucifixes. And I wonder if this is part of it because it's, I don't want to grapple. I don't want to sit with and sit in tension with the fact that what happened was state sanctioned violence and that the cross, I always talk about the cross being a tool of humiliation and God turns it into this great triumph. Mm -hmm. But the fact remains that it was a tool of repression and terror. And just because God has turned it around does not mean that that symbol for the Roman empire changed. It continued, uh, it continued, crucifixions continued after Jesus. It's not like once Jesus was raised from the dead, they disappeared. And I wonder if that's why I struggle so much with crucifixes. I don't think, I think we have one crucifix in our house, but it's an, it's a um, artistic depiction. So you actually like, you can see a kind of a head, like it, it's, um, I believe it's made out of ceramic, um, but it's, it's an artistic depiction. So you don't see nails, you don't see knees, you don't see blood or crown of thorns, you know, you don't see all the things um, meant to incite terror and shame and humiliation. Um, and I wonder that was when I read that those last two lines, don't look away, don't rush to redeem this. Um, I wonder if that is why I struggle so much with them. Yeah, at the heart of all of this, um, the idea of Good Friday, uh, Jesus being beaten and mocked down the road and spit on and nailed to a cross and strung up for all to see. I mean, it's a very, very ugly thing. Um, and I think all of our beautiful crosses these days you know you go into any little boutique or 
little shop and they've all been bedazzled with broken tile and ceramic and jewels and you got western ones and you got this type and you got that type and they're all so pretty and um but at the heart of it crucifixion jesus dying anybody dying uh, especially in a manner like this is just a a terrible very ugly very real thing um and we often try and sugarcoat it uh, we want to make it pretty we want to just hurry up and get through this day um and i don't think that's the wisest decision i think we do need to sit with it and look at it and realize that still in the midst of the ugliness that god is present um too many churches today want to whitewash what it means to be a christian you have to be good you have to do the right thing you have to smile you have to wear the nice clothes you got to check all the boxes and then god is present but this breaks all of that down because in the midst of the torture and the pain and the struggling and the, uh, the uh, what word am I looking for? Asphyxiation, is that, is that the right word? Uh, and the, the last drawing breath and the sweat and the tears and the blood and the sorrow and the grief in the midst of all of that, God is right there and God is present. And I think that's the important part of the Christian message that our history in the United States after the church came over has often tried to been glossed over. Ah, we'll just, we'll just brush over that. Oh yeah, he died. Easter, Easter, Easter. But you really have to sit with the death. You've got to go in that hospital room and sit by the bedside as, as the life support is unplugged, for lack of better words, or to help modernize this thing, and, and be unafraid to go into that room and sit with death, because we see that even in death, God is still present. So as we look forward towards Easter, Yet we end our time and our day with this idea of death. I share this poem with you, which is entitled Here by the Reverend Sarah R. There are places that our bodies know, the curve of the couch, the creak of the porch swing, the number of steps to our love's front door. There are places that our bodies know, and then there are places our souls know, waiting rooms and sanctuaries, nurseries and bedrooms, open roads and dinner tables. These are the travel routes, the many destinations of a well-lived soul. And while my soul would always prefer to stay in the sun, living on the front porch swings where life is easy, from time to time, we all find ourselves at grief's front door and love's waiting room, or on the long and treacherous road to justice's house. So when you do, remember, your body can be in a familiar space while your soul can feel a long way from home. Go easy on her. She has traveled 
being here has never been easy. Amen. Amen. I want to thank everyone for tuning in today. I know it's not easy, but um, we go through these moments in order to get to that empty tomb and that resurrection and that new light. So as we look forward to that, we'll catch you on the flip side in that new light. Don't be afraid of the darkness and the death because Christ is present even there. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God.